ವಸುದೇವಸುತಾಣೋರಮರ್ಧನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು So we are studying the Bhagavad Gita 5th chapter and we are in a very powerful section where Brahma Jnana, the realization of Brahman, the identity of the individual with, with Brahman that is being spoken about and what it is like to be enlightened. And uh, he has said some wonderful things like... one sees the same reality everywhere vidya vinaya sampanne brahmane gavi hastini in an enlightened person um with uh, you know with spiritual knowledge and all the virtues humility and all the other virtues and in an in animals in a in an elephant in a, in a cow and and even in an inferior person you see the exactly the same spiritual reality um then yeva tejita sargo yesham samyasthitam and once one attains that the realization that there is this one divinity everywhere it's not a theory you actually feel it that way they say that yeva tejita sarga the cycle of birth and death comes to an end right here you don't have to wait for going to heaven for in, uh, for salvation or moksha um so even while living you have attained to that state attain to that state means that is our actual state we just really we happen to realize it um nirdosham hi samam brahma this faultless brahman is radiantly present everywhere then the 20th verse with the 20th and 21st also we have done i think we were about to come to the 22nd yes 20th verse it says that so what is the result of this kind of knowledge um life continues for the enlightened person also life continues in the sense that the body will still continue uh, under the force of prarabdha karma uh, the the force of the accumulated karma which gave rise to this particular body that will continue working that will not be changed because you have attained enlightenment so um pleasant and unpleasant things will keep happening just as they have been happening before enlightenment after enlightenment also they will keep happening but the difference is in the reaction na prarishyet priyam prapya no dvijet prapya chapriyam one does not become elated delighted at um if things go your way and one does not become um unduly disappointed or miserable if things uh, if you hit a rough patch in your life because your happiness no longer depends on that sid sthira buddhi asam mudha so of settled realization buddhi here means understanding of settled understanding what is this understanding i am brahman asam mudha is not deluded anymore having perfected in nididhyasana so the contrary tendencies cannot take over anymore i am just reminded of um, this thing which professor arindam chakravarty had shared with us a few years ago at uh, stony brook um in his talk there he said the 
Buddha was once asked by some of his monks, you had promised that, you know, the problem is suffering and by following you, we shall overcome suffering. But uh, we see people who are not Buddhists or who are not even monks or Buddhists, who are not monks, who are not even Buddhists. They suffer, they grow old and diseased and die. And we who are Buddhists and also monks, we suffer, we grow old and diseased and die. So how is it that, uh, so <laughs> didn't Buddhism work? And then the Buddha answered, he said, suffering is like a man being hit by two arrows. The first arrow is what the world throws at you. Imagine how it stings to be hit by an arrow and on top of that to be hit by a second arrow. So that's the nature of suffering. The first arrow is what the world throws at you. Um, disappointments, pain, coronavirus, um, and the natural aging of the body and decline of health and all of those things. That's the, what the world will throw at you. And the second arrow is the reaction from within. How we react to unpleasant events, how we react to pain and suffering. That, that differs, I mean, especially those of you who are doctors or in healthcare, you have seen patients uh, who have suffered and all are suffering, who have got disease, but you can, you have, you have all seen that the way people react to suffering is very different. There are many kinds of reactions, there's a whole spectrum of reactions. And that reaction actually uh, determines how much or how less we suffer. So, Bhagavan Buddha says, what Buddhism does is that it takes care of that second arrow. I still remember Professor Chakravarti's uh, smile and he said that like a gentleman, Bhagavan Buddha admitted he cannot do much about the first arrow. The first arrow is our karma, which gives rise to results, cause and effect. In this material world of ever-changing causes and conditions, the Buddha himself said, this being that will happen, this not being that will not happen. This is the whole basis of the, the causality, the whole circle of what he called pratitya samutpada, uh, dependent origination. But put it to put it, it's a 12 linked chain, but to put it very simply, this happening that will happen, this not happening that will not happen. Causality or karma. Um, in a, same thing, but in a more general framework is karma. Because of that, that's the first arrow, and that will come to us. But what we do with it, how we react to it, how we frame it, how we see it, and how we react to it, that will really determine whether we are really suffering or not. That's the difference. So the Buddha says, his promise is that there still will be old age, still will be disease, still will be natural disasters and um, uh, coronavirus, all of that will come and death also is inevitable. But the very big thing is that we will not suffer. We will be able to transcend that suffering or overcome that suffering. The suffering will come. But the way we will react, it will help us to overcome that suffering. And it's also not one uh, all or nothing. As we practice, little by little, it does help. Of course, there's a breakthrough. We call it uh, bodhi or brahmagyana or enlightenment or whatever you call it. After that breakthrough, it, it's much, much easier. It gets, it gets much easier. It becomes very natural. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this many times. Swami Turiyanandaji in his old age, uh, he had a number of operations when he was in Banaras, also once in Puri. 
and he would uh, boil said to be lanced and things like that uh, and he would uh, always refuse the local anesthetic which was offered and he would sit through what might must have been excruciating pain physical this just gross physical excruciating pain and he would sit through it with calmly every time it was not just once so number of monks saw this devotees saw this if you see the reminiscences of swami turiyananda those who were writing about the last days so there are multiple accounts of this doctors saw this multiple doctors saw this and uh, one interesting incident is where when they offered to anesthesia uh, put an anesthesia he said no and they operated on his finger i think scraping a wound or something it was, it was very painful he sat through it very calmly the next day when the doctor came to uh, dress the wound he opened the bandage and started uh, cleaning it and immediately the swami shouted in pain stop what are you doing and the doctor was taken aback he said i'm sure this things it hurts but it's nothing compared to what was going on yesterday and yesterday you were absolutely calm and we you know what he replied he said you have to tell me first i'll take my mind away from the body um so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> what it means but you see this is what he's talking about the reaction the two arrows the operation the cutting that is the first arrow it's a very vivid uh, first arrow but the reaction is the second arrow now i recently i came across another incident with swami turiyan and the similar incident but this is uh, this is interesting because the monk who has written this he asks swami turiyananda how are you doing this he actually asks and um, is it that you don't feel it so taking your mind away from the body can mean uh, different things it could just mean it's like a meditative anesthesia you actually do not feel the pain and it can be done yogis can concentrate their mind because we have a limited uh, cognitive bandwidth the amount of information that we process is limited Um, if you occupy your mind completely with one thing, your mind will not take in information coming from elsewhere. Suppose you concentrate deeply on, uh, you know, the heart center, and you meditate um, on your Easter Devata, whatever meditation you are practicing, your awareness is such that the the uh, impulses of pain do not come to the level of your conscious mind. So you actually do not feel pain. That can also be done. but that requires a, a great expertise in meditation long dedicated meditation that is yogic meditation now there is another kind of meditation the vedantic one so anyway what was swami turiyananda ji's answer you can do it as a bhakta you can do it as a gyani a bhakta would actually suffer and go through the suffering but surrender everything to the lord that it is your will and it is true it's your will so what if i feel pain i'll feel pain i will even cry out in pain i even cry but i'll hold on to and keep holding on to the lord that's the devotee's way of dealing with it but what turiyananji said said was interesting he said that i do feel the pain but i have got that by getting which there is nothing greater to be gotten and established in which the deepest of sorrows cannot shake you he's quoting from the gita Yang Having attained which, there is no greater attainment to be had in life. That means you have realized you are Brahman. Um, and he says, Established in which, being established in which, Guruna Dukkhena, in Sanskrit it means heaviest of sorrows, cannot shake you. 
So he said that the pain of the operation and all, which I feel, it cannot, you cannot shake me because I have got that by which I cannot be shaken. So, yes, that's how it becomes possible. But not by sheer willpower. There are people who are brave, who have strong nerves, who can actually withstand a lot of physical pain. Uh, that's just willpower. That's just, but that is not reliable because for that, there's always a limit. And also it depends on many things, on your mental state, on your physical fitness. A young, fit soldier can put up with a lot of pain. The same person when he is in his 80s and in poor health, can't put up with that kind of pain. So that's just physical vitality and mental toughness. That's one thing. But what Turianji is talking about is um, actually experiencing pain just like anybody else, first arrow. And because of spiritual realization, the second arrow has no effect. There's no uh, actual suffering which comes from within. Uh, he's completely at peace because he knows that he is Brahman. And all of this, the body and its pain, are appearances in that one unlimited existence consciousness bliss, which I am. What is this little pain to me? So he was quoting from the Gita. So that's how he did it. But that, that depends on making an actual breakthrough and being established in it. If one has not made the breakthrough and not established in it, one better not try it. So I've heard the story of a monk of our order who was to undergo an operation. And the doctor said, I'm going to cut a little deep. So we'll put a local anesthesia there. And the Swami said, no, no need. You see, I'm not the body. I have read about it and I know, I understand. It's an object and even the pain in the body is an object. I'm aware of the pain. And uh, Swami Turiyananda's experience, I understand it all. It, it's, it's very clear. Go ahead. Are you sure, Swami? And he said, oh, go ahead, yes. The moment the knife bit into the flesh, he shouted, stop, stop, stop. What happened, Swami? You are not the body. No, you put anesthesia. What happened? You said you are not the body, you are not even the pain. And so he said in Hindi, and I'll translate for you. He said in Hindi, That uh, all that book learning is, is in the book. It, it stays in the book. It didn't come here. It must become a living reality. The pain is a living reality. The suffering is a living reality. Your realization also must be a living reality. Not something that you are convinced about here. Not something that you have read about and... You even feel convinced, yeah, but that's not enough. So that that breakthrough must be made. All right. Another example I remember, another great monk whom I had seen, uh, Ramananda Saraswati. I've told these stories earlier, but it's good to repeat these because I've seen this with my own eyes. He had undergone an um, operation in his stomach for cancer, which ultimately came back and killed him later on. But at that time, he had undergone an operation. And he was released from the operation, uh, from the hospital. The next day he came to uh, the ashram where in, in Haridwar. So where we monks and devotees, we would gather around him every day to ask him questions. He was no longer teaching anymore, but we could ask questions and he would reply. So he came and sat down. He was bare-bodied, wearing a dhoti. He came and sat down on a cot. The moment he sat down, he was bare-bodied. So it was you know, like glistening with sweat. Obviously, he was in great discomfort or pain inside. So one of the monks nearby said, uh, um, Swami, you need not do it. Go back and rest. You've just come from the hospital yesterday. Then the Swami told us a story. 
um, he said there was this uh, elderly lady, very poor woman, uh, in a village near Rajasthan, and, you know, and uh, she is to have a little vegetable patch. And uh, when the birds would come to eat the vegetables, she would. She had this um, tin container. And those were from India. If you have come from India, you will see in earlier days the dalda tin containers were there. <laughs> and she would. They were big cans, and she would bang it, make a terrible sound, and the birds would fly away to scare the birds. Now one day, an old camel. Uh, wandered into her vegetable patch and started chewing the vegetables. And this lady rushed out and she brought out her tin and a stick and started banging it to drive the camel away. And the old camel replied. Of course, it could speak. Maybe in Sanskrit, who knows. Uh, the camel said, Oh, you foolish woman. Do you think I'm going to be afraid of you banging that little um, piece of tin? Listen. I was a war camel. So in Rajasthan, you know, in addition to elephants and horses, they used camels for war. Even now, I think the Indian army has a camel corps or something. So I was a war camel. And uh, the big drums used to be played on my back. War drums used to be played. I'm used to that. And you think I'm going to get scared with your little bang, you banging a little tin? It does nothing to me. In Hindi, it, it carries more punch. He said, uh, uh, the camel said, अरे बुढ़िया मैं मेरे पीठ पर कितने ही युद्ध के नगाड़े बज चुके हैं और मैं तेरा टीना से डरूंगा दिस सर्व ऑफ रस्टिक हिंदी टीना से डरूंगा एम आई गोइंग टू बी स्केयर्ड ऑफ योर लिटिल टिन बॉक्स देन द स्वामी सेड आई एम दैट रियलिटी ऑन माय बैक यूनिवर्सेस आर क्रिएटेड दे एग्जिस्ट एंड दे डिसअपीयर एम आई गोइंग टू बी अफ्रेड ऑफ अ लिटिल स्टमक पेन नो वी विल हैव द क्लास and so they went on with the class <laughs> so that way so he's clearly feeling the pain and yet he has got something which enables him to overcome it but just that caution footnote you must get that before you try these things out you know take it out for a spin uh, be careful to some extent it works i have seen um, people who have studied vedanta thought about it deeply and then they try it out you know like a drig drishya viveka that i am the observer of the pain in fact in in upadesha sahasri on one of the books of shankaracharya the student asks this very question i understand what you mean that the body is an object just like this object like a pot the body is an object just as i see the pot i can see the body i can see it touch it smell it uh, you know it's an object it's not me i am the awareness but there's a difference between the pot and the body students of ob ob uh, objection there's a difference between the pot and the body if you break the pot it doesn't hurt me i'm aware of it but it doesn't it's not a problem for me but if you if if the body is burnt he uses the example of burnt it hurts there's pain you can't equate that that's an object this is an object and so you should be absolutely calm cool, you know cool about what happens to the pot and what happens to the body is the same then shankaracharya says this is an important point here he says aha but that pain is that not an object too when you say it pains and it hurts and i am in pain what have you identified yourself with just as you identified yourself with the physical body you have identified yourself with the subtle body with the pranic body with the senses and the mind which there is a flash of pain i am in pain 
No, you are aware of pain. Being aware of pain, you are not the pain. You are not in pain. You are the observer or the witness of the pain. Therefore, you, are, you cannot be in pain. You can reveal the existence of pain uh, in the body, in the nervous system, in the pranic body. But how can consciousness be in pain? So it's just, just the opposite of what we normally think. All right. Now, but this is what all we did last time. Now we move on to 22. Yehi sangsparshaja bhoga dukha yonaya evate adhyantavantakanteya nate shuramate buddhaha the enjoyments born of sense objects are indeed sources of misery. They have, O son of Kunti, a beginning and an end. The wise man does not rejoice in them. All right. So this verse, 22nd and 23rd, he is saying something important. After making the breakthrough, I am Brahman becomes a living reality for me. There's a final point to be kept in mind. The control of the senses will come naturally, but still, you have to keep your mind on that. Um, you will see Vedanta here, we normally think that Vedanta means you realize I am Brahman, you become enlightened. That's the point. You know, we always talk about Shravana, Manana, Nidityasana, uh, hearing and reasoning and meditating. But a very important part of Vedanta is sense control, control of the senses, command over the senses. And this has already been taken for granted in your sadhan chatushta, the fourfold qualifications, especially the third one there, the sixfold, uh, the six treasures, uh, shat sampatti, shama, dhamma, all those things are there, uh, uh, calmness of the mind, control of the motor organs and the sense organs, uh, titiksha, putting up with uh, suffering and trouble, a spiritual fortitude, all those things are taken for granted and a pretty high level of excellence is, is required there. Why? And that you see here. He says, samsparsha bhoga. Bhoga literally means ex uh, actually experience. You often translate it as enjoyment. Here also it's translated as enjoyment. Bhoga literally means experience because in Indian languages you see bhoga, suffering is also bhoga. Sukha is bhoga and dukkha is also bhoga. Dukkha bhoga, we say. So bhoga, in Bengali, that means bhoga, he is suffering a lot. Enjoying a lot, suffering a lot, both are bhoga. Now, both are provided by the senses. So the senses contact, the sense organs contact their respective objects. Eyes form, ears sound, skin touch. Touch means including pressure and pain and you know, heat and cold, all of that. And then the tongue is taste, nose is, of course, a smell. And the, this, this contact of the senses with their objects um, provides two kinds of reactions. Sometimes they're pleasurable, those ones people seek out. All conscious and all sentient beings, animals, of course, and human beings also. And sometimes they are not pleasurable, they're painful. And these things, all sentient beings, they avoid animals as well as human beings. So we, we seek after pleasurable sensations. We seek after, we try to avoid unpleasant or painful sensations. These sensations are, they arise with the contact of the senses with the objects. Now, this is a very simple way of putting it. 
But this principle applies for all the happiness that we seek. It's not just eating a cookie, which is nice taste. I'm seeking it, uh, something bitter. Um, and I, I don't want it at all. I remember this neem. I don't know what it is in English. Um, so this neem, it's very bitter, but it's very healthy. Now, in the ashram where I joined the order, the Swami, the head Swami there would have a neem sharbat. But it looked very enticing. It was green and it looked like some kind of, you know, very nice cool drink or something. And there were a lot of little kids who studied in the school there. And they would, they would watch the, you know, one little boy would watch the Swami with longing, you know, thought maybe that's because he's the Swami, he's getting a special cool drink, which we are not getting. Nobody gives it to us. And the Swami also said, noticed it and said, you want it, you do want it, let's share. And he poured a little bit into the, uh, the kid's glass. The kid immediately drank it and made a priceless face, you know, twisted the face like this <laughs> and ran away to spit it out. And never again did he ask for it again. <laughs> he, he, it's, it's extremely bitter. So, but it depends on the person. For the kid, for it, it's bitter. But after some practice, for the Swami, he says he likes it. it it's healthy. Um, so, why was I saying this? Yes. So, it's not just the pleasant and unpleasant, tasty and not tasty. Uh, but also, you know, other things like people. Contact with people we like is pleasurable. Contact with people we do not like is painful. It's also situations. There are certain jobs, activities, which I like. Um, there are some uh, activities um, which I do not like. I find it unple unpleasant or boring. So all of this could be people, could be situations, could be activities, jobs. It could be, uh, it could be thoughts. There are thoughts which I like to think, you know, pleasant daydreams. And there are thoughts which I find boring um, to think. Uh, so all of this, Contact with the objects produces pleasure and pain. And normally, uh, just about everybody chases those contacts which are pleasurable and chases and runs away from those contacts which are not pleasurable, not, which are painful. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is it's, it's, it's a project doomed to failure. The project is I will maximize my pleasure and minimize my pain. It doesn't work. Why? This trying to get pleasure from sense contact, just take pleasure. Trying to get pleasure from sense contact has many, many defects. Uh, one defect is that uh, you have to accumulate it. You have to accumulate nice food and drink and nice environments and uh, air conditioned or uh, depending on where you are. If in India, you need an air conditioned room. If you're in New York in the cold, you need a proper heating. So all of this you have to accumulate. You say, so what's wrong with that accumulation? But notice how difficult it is. How few people in the world, even today, out of 7 billion people, how many can accumulate enough and consume enough to have even a decent standard of cons uh, consumption, a decent standard of enjoyment of life? Not many. There are millions or hundreds of millions who are struggling, who are struggling to just accumulate enough food, clothing, shelter, education, um, comfort in life to pass their days. It's difficult to accumulate. Having accumulated, 
it's difficult to maintain it you see everything is changing the buddhists are big on this everything is subject to change the objects which you have worked hard to accumulate very soon they change the the um, person who was so young and beautiful at one time is now old and not so appealing anymore the um, you know the the gadget which was so shiny and the latest and advertised after 5 years it's just old and slow on the phone is outdated and obsolete so the objects which you g- gather um, it could be a person a relationship um, a job people were telling me that all the fancy degrees they have got in the new economy everything is outdated by the time you join the job or within some time whatever you have learned is just outdated you have to keep learning new things so whether it's knowledge is something as gross as a car or as subtle as knowledge everything changes and it gets outdated not only that our mind changes objects of enjoyment also change what you have accumulated our mind changes after enjoying that object after enjoying whatever you have accumulated whatever you have gathered around you um, mind changes you get people get bored people get new desires people do not find it satisfying anymore whether it's food and drink whether it's a job whether it's a movie or a book or a hobby um, or a relationship they are they're no longer happy in that anymore so objects change which you have accumulated and the mind which wanted to enjoy that that also has changed nachiketa was on to something the little boy who confronted the god of death the god of death said i will give you lots of pleasures in life which people even in the other worldly pleasures which only the gods can enjoy anashiketa caught on to the crucial problem which krishna says in the gita uh, he said to uh, the king uh, there are a lot of death sarvendriyani jarayanti teja all these enjoyments you are talking about our capacity for enjoyment is limited our it wears down the body and mind the mind and the senses get worn out by continuous enjoyment i mean i am fond of repeating somerset maugham's line you know where he says um, if you pursue if you pursue pleasure single mindedly very soon you find nothing pleasing anymore i read recently world record for watching tv okay so people want to watch tv uh, for enjoyment relaxation world record for let's watch tv and so, so the world record I, one gentleman here in the united states he watched you have to watch at a stretch it is very interesting there are doctors who will take care of you so that you don't collapse and you can stretch but your eyes have to be on the screen you can't look away and i think maybe they are, they allow bathroom breaks i'm not very sure so there's a whole process process you have to go through and you are observed continuously to see whether you are just staring or actually listening and you are uh, uh, experiencing the tv this person watched tv with a, without a break for 94 hours that's what um three nearly four four days um so four days yes without a break without sleeping and so he should be really happy at the end of it his his conclusion in fact the news report the, the headline of the news report is i feel horrible <laughs> i feel horrible and there are doctors there because they know the person can collapse for from what from enjoyment from happiness not not happiness anymore any economist can tell you every bit of consumption reduces what they say not the to- total happiness but the marginal utility the law of diminishing marginal utility is the first thing that they teach you in economics class 
that from every unit of consumption, you keep getting less and less happiness, satisfaction. Till it becomes one cookie, a lot of satisfaction. Second one, maybe even more. Third one, not so much. Fourth one, par. Fifth one, no. Sixth, you begin to feel sick. And seventh one, it will be torture. Maybe eighth one, you throw up. So no, it not only becomes zero, the satisfaction becomes negative then. It eats into your total satisfaction. So all of this consumption, it does not lead to happiness. Um, it, dukkha yonaya, they are sources of unhappiness. Not only that, they are a habit forming. Uh, as we, uh, it's like drugs, sense pleasures. If you take something and after that, whatever pleasure it is, after some time, that, that thing will not be enough. You need a bigger dose of it. Better food, better gadgets, better uh, vacations, uh, whatever it is, better cars. It has to be a different variety. So you get habituated to it. So all these are problems of uh, sense enjoyment. Um, so he says, Dukkha Yonaya, the sources of sorrow. Contact with that is source of sorrow. Then don't have it. Give it up. So that's one way. But the problem is we are caught. This is the uh, what frying pan and the fire. Uh, rock and a hard place, they say. So <laughs> give it up, won't work. So there's a story about a dog which has fleas. So when the dog goes out in the sun, the fleas start biting. And it has to run back into the shade. So the fleas will sort of become, uh, I don't know, they become inactive or something. But when it sits down in the shade, it, shade, it has got a virus in its brain. And the virus starts uh, biting in its own brain. It's, it's agony for the dog. And the dog runs out into the sun. And in the sun, the virus doesn't bite anymore. But the fleas become active. So the poor dog runs back and forth. The shade and the sun. What is that? That's our condition. If you plunge into the world, hoping to get satisfaction, people and money and education and success and activity and all of that, um, it's troublesome. Troublesome to accumulate, unsatisfactory to enjoy, habit forming. So many problems are there in sense enjoyment. And by sense enjoyment, I don't, don't just mean eating a cookie. It's all kinds of contact with the world. And if you say, I don't like it anymore, I'm going to run away to the Himalayas and lead a simple life of a, of a monk there and go there, what will happen? So I'll get peace only for the first few days. After that, if the mind is not prepared, what's there? It's just rock and wind and sky and ice and utter loneliness, not solitude. There's a difference between solitude and loneliness. And a person becomes unhappy. Um, I mean, most people don't run up to the uh, Himalayas, but little bit one can see. You know, people say, I, I just can't stay still. I have to do something. It's minus marks. We are going to deduct marks from you. It's not a, a, a good sign at all. Um, I can't stay by myself means I am not happy with myself. If you don't enjoy your, your company, who else will enjoy your company? Why, why should others enjoy your company? Why should people like you if you don't like yourself? You can't remain by yourself. I've seen a monk who told me, so I'm, I'm perfectly at ease and happy with all people around me. And happier still when, when nobody's there. I've told you about this monk I met in Gangotri with, um, you know, the children I used to come and play with him because he had this long like, hair and beard. 
And I said, you're very happy now, but what about the winter months? For six months, you don't see a human face. It's just snow and ice and uh, you know, blizzards. And he says, now I'm happy. Huh? And then I'm happier still. How is that possible? Normally, we are the person is caught trying to enjoy the world, suffering. And no, no satisfaction, no satisfaction is there. Running away from the world, again suffering. Two different kinds of suffering. People may think that running away as monks and all, it will be very nice to stay in a cave in a mountain. No, it doesn't work unless the mind is trained. I met this young man in, in the mountains in Gangotri. He used to stay in a cave. He worked for an NGO, uh, what's, it is called as like a, what would be the American thing? A non-profit. He worked for a social cause, a non-profit. And in every organization, there are politics. So he told me that uh, he was disappointed. So this is the problem with idealistic people. So when they uh, want to change the world, they suddenly make up their mind, one fine day, I'm going to change the world. And when they jump in and try to change the world, and the world kicks back, they are stunned. Why isn't the world praising me as its savior? Why are they playing politics with me? Why are they ungrateful? Uh, why don't they allow me to save them? No, it doesn't work that way. Anyway, he got disappointed and he ran away to the mountains and he wanted to spend his days in meditation in a cave. And he came and after some time he confided in me. He said he's terribly, terribly unhappy in the cave. He's bored out of his mind and it's a hard and harsh life. And uh, so he's just stewing there, sitting and stewing there. The Bhagavad Gita says, Having given up external activities, who sits in meditation but thinks about the world. Why Arjuna, when he wanted to give up the battle, it wouldn't have worked. Krishna knew his nature. He's a warrior and a doer. If he had run away from the battlefield field of uh, Kurukshetra and gone to the mountains and sat in meditation, you know what would have happened to him? Within a few days, he would, in his deepest meditation, he would think, that Duryodhana, that villain, I wonder what he's doing right now. I should have killed him when I got the chance. That's what will go on. Uh, one of our senior monks, Swami Premeshanda, writes to this young man who left the ashram and made a beeline for the Himalayas. He said, I don't like these ashrams and you know, schools and hospitals. I want to sit and meditate and attain Samadhi in the mountains. So he wrote a letter, Swami Premeshan. This was in the 1940s, 50s. Do you, not know, do you think I do not know what's going through your mind? You're sitting there in meditation and thinking, uh, the, my, my mother and aunts in the village, they must be thinking, thinking about me now and thinking, ah, the poor boy, what a spiritual child he was and how holy and uh, wonderful he is sitting and meditating. And you feel very pleased thinking about that sitting in the, in the mountaintop. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? And it was actually. The, the young man got such a shock. I think he came back to the ashram. Um, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, then what will work? If you cannot, if jumping into the world will not give you satisfaction, if running away from the world will not give you satisfaction, then what will work? So Sri Ramakrishna gives the answer. Sri Krishna also here gives the answer. The answer is this. Sri Ramakrishna is the parable of one and the zeros. No matter how many zeros you accumulate, it's still zero. But if you have the one, then even if you don't have any zeros, it's still the one. You've got something. 
and you keep on adding the zeros, all of that you can enjoy. What Krishna is trying to say here is, what you need is spirituality. Spiritual enlightenment, Brahma Jnana, self-knowledge or the knowledge of Brahman, if you are a jnani or if you are a devotee. And this complete dedication, love, bhakti to God. Holding on to that one, either your self-realization as I am the Atman, being centered in that one, or complete devotion to God. Here he means the Atman. He has not come to Bhakti Yoga here. Um, but both will work. After that, if you sit in meditation in the mountains, you will be at peace. You will enjoy that life thoroughly. And if you decide, no, you decide or your, your karma is such that you are uh, in householder life, you are married and you have a job and responsibilities. There also, uh, all the troubles of the world will not affect you because you are centered within. You have the, the strength, the steadiness to uh, navigate the ups and downs of life, the pleasures and pains of life, not being affected by it. And if you give up all that and sit in the mountains in meditation, there also, you will not, you will not be, you know, as one monk used the phrase, akela pan loneliness bites you. Loneliness pricks you. He told me, I was reading Dashtavakra. So this monk who, who was actually the sevak of Tapovan Swamiji, he lived in the next um, cottage, Sundarananda so I used to go and talk to him. He said, he asked me, what are you reading? And he would observe. When are you getting up and you're meditating and what kind of life you're leading? Keep an eye on the young monks. And he was very harsh in uh, scolding also. You have to put up with all of that. But it's a great blessing to see such people and get their blessings. So he said, Ashtabhakra is very good. But you take this. He went into his room and he got me uh, that Vishnu Sahasranama, devotional text, and with a Hindi translation. He said, you read this also. So otherwise, he said, Akela Panchuvega. He knows, he's a young man with all, all sorts of uh, uh, idealism come rushing out into the mountains. But you need that balance. Anyway, whether it's knowledge or devotion or both, even if you're not enlightened, at least if, you are, if your life is organized around that, you will enjoy monastic life there. I was so happy in the mountains. See, there's nothing, a log cabin. You have to beg for your food. It's bitterly cold. And for company, you have a few old monks. Some are old and some are young. That's it. And um, a mountain wolf next door. <laughs> That's your company. And you're, you're very happy. Full of joy. Because if you are centered in some kind of spiritual practice, some, your whole project is spirituality, nothing else. Or in the world, you're back in the ashram, in your household, you have husband, wife, children, things to do, pleasant and unpleasant um, sense contacts, objects, people, experiences. In all of that, you can navigate it if you are centered in that one. Here he warns, Samsparsha jab hoga, the enjoyments, the experiences which you get by contact with senses, all of them are dukkhayonaya, they are sources of sorrow. Unpleasant ones, are unpleasant to begin with. Pleasant ones are only deceptively pleasant. Even they will disappoint you finally. Adhyantavanta. Why are they sources of misery? Because they have a beginning and an end. 
He has just indicated they are beginning and they are in, they are impermanent. They are transient. So he has indicated the deep fault in this kind of uh, enjoyment, enjoyment of the world through the senses. Um, the Buddhists have developed this very very thoroughly. The first noble truth of suffering, you know, pain. Everything is pain. Everything is suffering. Sarvam dukkham. Why? Anityatvat. Shanikatvat. Anityam, anityam, sarvam anityam. Impermanent, impermanent. Indeed, all is impermanent. Not only impermanent. Impermanent we can put up with. I mean, impermanent cookie. I would expect a cookie to be impermanent. Eternal cookie would be a problem. Um, I know our lives are impermanent. But that gives us 50, 60, 70 years are enough to you know, set up samsara with. So the impermanence is not a problem, but Buddha says that impermanence is a problem because it's kshanikam, momentary, moment to moment. And ultimately he says shunyam shunyam, sarvam shunyam, empty, empty, void, void, all is void. Impermanent, imper impermanent, all is impermanent, momentary, momentary, all is momentary, um, void, void, all is void. Therefore, dukkham, dukkham, sarvam, dukkham. It follows from that. Things are suffering. But things are suffering, Krishna points out here. Only if your whole philosophy is, a whole worldview is, I will try to get happiness from these things. This is what Krishna warns against. Na teshu ramate buddhaha. The wise do not dwell on them. Do not, um, ramate here means wallow in them. Like pigs wallow in mud. The wise do not wallow in uh, sense, sense enjoyments. That does not mean you'll throw away a cookie if somebody offers it to you. Some monks are like that. They'll throw it away. And make a big show of throwing it away also. <laughs> but uh, you have to do that. But you, your happiness does not depend on it. Your happiness does not depend on it. You're not looking for it. You're happy with um, the cookie if somebody gives you and you're happy with a dry chapati and roti if somebody gives you that. That's also fine. Uh, what else did I want to say about this? Yes. So... Centered in God, centered in self-knowledge, both are fine, whether it's in, in the world or uh, in sitting in a mountain cave. Then you're not like the dog, which runs into the shade and then runs back into the sunlight, again runs back and you are cured, cured of the fleas and the virus in the brain. Okay. Then next one, 23rd. Shaknoti heivaya sodum he who is able to withstand the urges arising from passion and anger in this very life before the fall of the body is a poised and happy man. Um, poised and happy here is Jivan Mukta. You will enjoy the bliss of Jivan Mukti if you can manage the ups and downs which will come to you. How will you manage it? On the basis of your realization. This is what Swami Vivekananda says. There's a very profound uh, de uh, definition of religion. Manifestation of the divinity already within us. Not just knowing it. Not just experiencing it. But living it. He said in another place, my mission in life can be put in a few words. It is to preach unto uh, humanity their inherent divinity and how to make it manifest in every movement of life. In our thoughts, in our speech, in our the way we deal with people and things in the world. Is the divinity being um, manifested or just 
our patterns of behavior which which we are conditioned to so if you can manifest that divinity you will be able to navigate the ups and downs the problems that this world will bound the first arrow the first arrow then you are you able to withstand the second arrow are you able to change the uh, reaction then you'll overcome the suffering caused by the second arrow uh, so shaknoti iheva in this life itself if you are able to sodu means withstand bear with it the ups and downs the pains the uh, the disappointments the shocks that life will it will come to us you know why will it come to me i am a holy person enlightened person <laughs> if i am enlightened that does not make a difference the world operates on causality on karma it comes to everybody's lot look at the lives of saints and great spiritual masters death came for all of them old age and disease came for all of them people misbehaved with all of them perhaps they had more suffering than us in many cases i remember swami ranganathanand ji the 13th president of our order one day i saw that he was lying down on the bed and a senior swami was massaging his feet and was talking about his experiences in a long life you know um and the swami was saying when i came into the room the swami was saying to swami ranganathanand that other swami he was saying oh you have lived 10 lives in one you have lived 10 lives in one and swami ranganathanand ji said yes this is the last life uh, he didn't say that he meant it he just said yes because it's the last what it means is the more spiritual you are probably more your uh, karma is accelerated sort of so you have lots of experiences in one life and swami bhuteshan ji said that that it is the last life i told you the story of a, you know the some funny incident which bhuteshan ji mentioned and everybody burst out laughing all the monks when he told at that time bhuteshan ji was the 12th president of our order he was 98 years old 97 98 So somebody said, "Swami, you have had so many extraordinary experiences in your life." And he would speak in this slow drawl. So he said, "Yes, because it is the last one." And that changed the atmosphere in the room so much. I still remember vividly a kind of deep presence and something transcendent came into that room with just those few words. All those dozens of monks who were uh, laughing and joking—they all fell silent. we quietly bowed and we walked left the room um so is the last one all the experiences in this life itself shaknoti ihaiva here in this life can you transcend prak sharira vimokshana before the fall of the body after the fall of the body the enlightened one is going to get moksha anyway and the ups and downs will not be there anymore because prarabdha karma is gone there is no further birth no further karma for that problems will not appear the one remains as brahman as the absolute reality there is no further you know has attained nirvana but before that before attaining the videha mukti the bodiless liberation as long as the body is there ups and downs will be there problems will be there how do you deal with it so especially kama krodha udbhavam vegam the um, the waves of anger and desire these are the main sources which dis- disturb us can you remain unmoved not to lash out in anger not to be terrified when this it's scary not to be tempted when it is tempting um shankaracharya adi shankaracharya in his famous adhyasa bhashya the 
introduction introductory essay to the brahma sutra commentary on the brahma sutra he says pashvadi avisheshat he says um in day to day affairs you make a distinction between ajivan mukta and those who are not ajivan mukta even if you have read vedanta even if one is well read and very highly educated in everything he says there is no difference between this is such an intelligent educated person and animals and then he gives an example so just like a cow harita trinapurna is with a if you go to it with a handful of green grass the cow comes to you um danda udyataka purusha if a, a man comes with a raised stick to beat the cow the cow runs away from that man and he says human beings no matter how educated how well learned how philosophical um, often you find in life they behave exactly like that when there's something scary terrifying they they run away they give in they compromise and when there is something tempting they uh, uh, violate um, you know ethics morality they overstep the limits of what is decent why because there's a strong identification about body and mind and somehow deep inside convinced this will make me happy and i will chase that sense contact this sense contact is going to make me unhappy i'll run away from it who are people of character who are people we admire we are talking about mahatma gandhi a few days back you stand on what you know to be right and take the blows if the world is going to give you blows take it it's unpleasant it's unpleasant sense contact no i shall hold on to what i know to be right and if i hold on to what and i take a stand on what is right and i forego sense pleasures let them go i am not chasing temptation i am not running away from terror so i am not chasing the handful of green grass and i am not running away from the man who's coming to beat me with a stick that would be an enlightened cow so <laughs> this is an enlightened person will not be moved it's so interesting that um, this swami i mentioned who told the story about the camel and was you know gave a class in the midst of terrible uh, stomach pain after the operation one day in a question answer where where uh, all these subjects being discussed were spiritual life especially vedanta mostly philosophical um, and about spiritual life somebody asked what seemed to be um, irrelevant not quite directly related to what was being discussed one gentleman asked a question swami what is true education and uh, others became i also i remember we felt a little restless that what sort of question is this this is this is a general question this is not related to vedanta or spiritual what's true education and swami immediately replied with this thing what i just quoted from the adhyasa bharsha so i thought it so he has got replies for everything from uh, the commentaries of shankaracharya this shankaracharya says in the adhyasa bharsha uh, it is a the uh, when a person no matter how many degrees you know how many books a person has read if you run away from terror and if you run towards temptation and overstep morality ethics do not you let go of the ideals of your life then the person is not educated what is education true education is what you have learned what you have understood the intellect has told you it is true and good you will hold on to it in spite of unpleasant circumstances in spite of terror in spite of temptation that's true education so that really <laughs> i thought that how we what we think is 
philosophy and advaita and at the most um, you know something to be practiced in spiritual life and he connects it to immediately to education and that's that's true and that's the way to understand things okay and this is how one should live as spiritual seekers prak sharira vimokshanat before the death of the body until that point even whether we are enlightened or not enlightened let us try to navigate the ups and downs of our life day to day moment to moment on the strength of our spiritual conviction whatever your spiritual path you may not be a non dualist you may be a devotee on the strength of your devotion to god faith to god faith on god you may be a meditator or you may be all of these a gyani a devotee um, devotee a meditator um, a worker for the welfare of the world on the basis of all of these uh, can we face the pleasant and the unpleasant in life and remain steady up to this point is enlightenment and from here till the end of the chapter is jivan mukti um, the life of the enlightened person all very nice stuff all right let's see the comments Dr. Sharkar's observation of Thakur, how could he bear such pain? That's right. Even more than Turiyan and Riji, Sri Ramakrishna demonstrated. Prabir Babu asks, how does Bhogya Bhokta Vichara lead to Ananda? Where is this coming from? Is Prabir Babu there? Yeah, you talked about, you talked in Aparakshnavati, at the end during the end he hmm. said uh karya karana viveka leads to uh sat hmm. drishya viveka leads to chit and bhoga hmm. bhakta now i understand the first two but i didn't understand the third one yes so this is the um this is the key to it um i was quoting from swami akhandananda saraswati who was a great um, scholar and saint but actually most of his works are, almost all of his works are in hindi and some in sanskrit none of it is in english he had wonderful insights into vedanta and he was a master of both advaita vedanta and uh, the bhakti of the bhagavata anyway so here here is the answer to your question how is bhogya bhokta vichara leads to ananda he says jahan aadhar adheya ek hai wo sat hai jahan दृष्टा और दृश्य एक है वो चित है और जहां भोक्ता और भोग्य एक है वो आनंद है वट इज इट मीन वेयर दबस्ट्रेटम एंड दैट विच इट सपोर्ट्स इज वन रियालिटी दैट इज प्योर बीइंग नॉर्मली इट इज नॉट सो नॉर्मली वन थिंग सपोर्टिंग टू द टेबल एंड द कप आर नॉट वन रियालिटी टेबल इज द सपोर्टिंग कप इज वन बट एग्जिस्टेंस इट सेल्फ वॉट एवर द ऑब्जेक्ट it is one existence everywhere so the existence is not something different from the things which exist or the things which exist are not something different from the existence itself you when you think about it that way you understand what sat is otherwise in the normal way we understand existence is existing things tables chairs pots and pans and stars and you know quarks and quasars these are existing things that's how that's how we understand existence that's not what sat pure being means it is the existence itself then drashta drishya ek hai wo chit hai so 
normally the knower and the known are two different things in our day to day activities we i am the knower there is a no known thing and there is knowledge of that the triputi pramata prameya and uh, pramana and the prama the knowledge generated by the prama by the process of knowledge but uh, when what you you the consciousness what you observe that what you observe is not different from you it's the underlying reality that consciousness is underlying reality of the knower and the known that is chit and bhokta and bhogya when it is one one means normally we think this this kind of sense enjoyment for example which sri krishna is condemning here dukkha yoni the source of sorrow senses contact an object a tongue contacts taste and gives a burst of pleasure that's what we understand as pleasure this is no where the senses the 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 enjoying person and what you enjoy they are one reality so there is no limitation there there is this 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 um, unlimitedness that is ananda this you will understand if you see ananda mimamsa ananda mimamsa where um, you know different kinds of ananda are explained this sense object ananda then the this is called vishaya ananda then there is something called bhajana ananda the ananda of giving up this and pursuing spirituality and then finally brahmananda so that brahmananda is what is meant by bhokta bhogya vichara what is so if you say what is this bhokta bhogya vichara you go to ananda mimamsa actually what is done there ananda mimamsa you find in taittiriya upanishad second chapter brahmananda valli last part neem in english is indian lilac is, is that some or oh, everybody calls it neem that's why yes margosa margosa yes even those who are ultra super rich are poor because they don't have enough right and even the knowledge that there has to be an enough that also is not there people think it's a good thing to keep on accumulating to keep on enjoying stuff more and more and more but it's um, and the suffering multiplies and people don't know why they are suffering people don't know why they are empty they're looking in the wrong place for fulfillment they're trying to accumulate zeros doesn't work what has not worked Um, and just keep repeating it and expecting it to work the next time that's the definition of insanity vishwanath says this this verse feels like a continuation of sentiment in 214 matras par shastra kaunte yeah i did not mention it yes 214 you see where krishna asks arjuna to bear with the contacts of the objects and suffer duality this verse focuses on the apparent joys yes so ultimately what do you do if you are a spiritual seeker or an enlightened person in both cases what do you do with this world you have to bear with it but bear with it in what way not with a not with you know like how that little kid uh, put neem in his mouth and was like that you know somehow have to drink it no you bear with it like swami turiyananda ji did like sri ramakrishna did established in the highest spiritual reality established in the knowledge i am brahman or established in the knowledge the lord exists i love god and that's it i will put up with anything else which comes and goes you will not be shaken as turiyanji said i have found that by by which in the deepest the greatest sorrows cannot shake me Rick says 
regarding last life for that Swami. When the postman knows you're going to move, he tries to deliver all your mail. Oh, I've never heard that one. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you get a lot of mail. Bill says, in 23, the implication seems to be that there will be passion and anger, but they can be withstood. Yes. Not that there will be a person who is enlightened will uh, get bursts of anger and passion like others. But all the movements of the mind, you can manage them. You can, they can come and go. You're completely serene and not moved by that. Um, already by that time, this person is, has a very purified mind. So the problems are much less compared to people in the world. I mean, in that case, could we do that? That let there be greed and negativity and depression in my mind. Let me just quickly get God realization and I can manage all of that. But you can't. If there are very strong negativities in the mind, strong problems in the mind, they have to be attenuated, thinned out first before uh, one can move ahead in spiritual life. So a lot of the work has already been done for this person, uh, for the advanced spiritual seeker, let's say. Alpana is asking, what is the difference between Jnana and Vijnana? That is for a later class. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu